Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. Dr. James Doty is a leading neurosurgeon and the founder of the Center for Compassion and Altruism Research at Stanford University, a highly successful entrepreneur and CEO, philanthropist, and all-round wonderful human, who's here to share what he knows about the surprising science of compassion and your brain's health. So welcome to Jim. Before we get started, um, your story is just so brilliant. Now, I think it would be doing us a contextual disservice to your legacy to not just try and hear some of the high level. What's the quickest summary you've ever given of your own life? Do you think we can target five minutes? Sure. So you know it, but uh, very quickly, um, I grew up in a challenging environment. Uh, My father uh, was an alcoholic. Uh, My mother had had a stroke when I was a child and uh, was paralyzed, had a seizure disorder, and unfortunately was chronically depressed. And as a result of that depression, she attempted suicide many times throughout my entire life as a child. We were on public assistance, or I guess you call it over there, the dole. And um, neither of my parents had gone to college. So as you know, uh, a child in that type of an environment, it's very challenging to have, if you will, quote unquote, success. Uh, There's something now called adverse childhood experiences. And we know children who grow up in environments where there's poverty, lack of education, uh, drug and alcohol abuse, violence, uh, mental illness, it has an effect not only on them mentally, but also uh, physically. And it's as if you're in a war zone your entire life and you have post-traumatic stress disorder. So the question, of course, is uh, how was I able to attend college, go to medical school, become a professor of neurosurgery at Stanford, found the center that studies the neuroscience of compassion and altruism at Stanford, develop relationships with the leading spiritual and religious figures throughout the world, including the Dalai Lama, who's the uh, benefactor, founding benefactor of the center at Stanford, as well as become a successful entrepreneur, and as you point out kindly, a best-selling author. And uh, the basis of that change in trajectory of what would have been predicted happened uh, when I walked into a magic shop. That's the title of uh, the book. And what happened at that time, and which I think is very germane to our conversation today, is that when I walked in, uh, the owner wasn't there, but his mother was there. And the extraordinary gift that she gave me at that time, and I was 12 years old, and scared, anxious, angry, filled with shame, was that she looked at me with a non-judgmental radiant smile that embraced me and created an environment of psychological safety. And after a conversation where she asked me some penetrating questions, uh, which I answered honestly, she said to me, you know, I think I could help you. If you come here every day for the next six weeks, and she was there for the summer, I think I could teach you something. And lo and behold, I showed up, not because I had any particular insight, but because I had nothing else to do and she was feeding me cookies. And uh, I did show up and during that uh, period of time, over six weeks, I learned some extraordinary things that changed my brain and actually ultimately changed the trajectory of my life. 
and it had to do with learning a mindfulness technique. And imagine at that time, no one talked about mindfulness. She also taught me that the voice going on in my head that telling, was telling me I wasn't good enough or smart enough was not real. I had always thought that when I said, I'm not very smart, I'll never succeed, et cetera, et cetera. I thought that that was truth and it was not. And the very nature of that negative dialogue with myself was limiting me. And she taught me ultimately to recognize that and uh, a technique to change that. So what happens to our brains? Talk to us about the science of compassion. What have you learned? So uh, our species, unlike other species, uh, to have theory of mind, abstract uh, thinking and uh, complex language requires our offspring not to run into the forest, but we have to care for them. And that caring takes a decade and a half or so. And that's an immense uh, cost in resources, time, energy. So why would we do that? The reason we do that is when we care, when we nurture, we are rewarded. And these parts of our brain that are associated with reward and pleasure actually increase their metabolize, metabolism uh, when we do good acts for others. Uh, additionally, what happens is we have this innate ability as humans to intuit people's microfacial expressions, body habitus, voice intonation, even smell to determine their emotional state. And we can recognize when someone's suffering. And so we are motivated at a very deep level to care for the other, especially in the context of what we call our kin and our kith, our family and our friends, or our tribe. What happens when you care, it's quite extraordinary. I mentioned these areas of reward uh, in your caudate, uh, in your insula. But the other thing that happens is these two parts of our nervous system that are within the autonomic nervous system also are affected. One part is our sympathetic nervous system, which is the flight, fight, or freeze response, which we're all familiar with. And the other, probably less familiar, is what we call our rest and digest system. And so what happens is, is when you are anxious, you're frightened, you're in pain, you stimulate the sympathetic nervous system. And while on a short-term basis, let's say when we were on the savannah in Africa, it worked great. You know, you saw a lion shaking the grass, you knew what it was, you ran away, and you either made it up the tree or you didn't. And then you went right back down to baseline. What happens, though, when in the modern world, many people are chronically stressed, and this has a huge deleterious effect on your health, because when you have the chronic low-level uh, release of hormones uh, and neurotransmitters, it affects your cardiac function, it affects your immune system, it results in the expression of inflammatory proteins, which are associated with a variety of diseases. It also results in the release of cortisol, which on a long-term basis also has a lot of negative physiologic effects. But the amazing thing is when you care, when you nurture, you can shift and go into the parasympathetic uh, nervous system engagement, which is what we call, as I mentioned, our rest and digest, but it could be our tend and befriend system as well. Because when that is engaged, two things happen. The area in your brain that is associated with executive control or making discerning decisions is shut down when you're afraid because you're in survival mode. When you're in the, engaged in the parasympathetic nervous system, you are, have access to memories, you have access to prior experiences, and you can utilize that information to make much more thoughtful, discerning decisions. 
The other thing that happens is that your heart is affected. Something called uh, heart rate variability increases uh, when you engage the system. And when you do not have heart rate variability, that is the uh, associated with the highest risk of sudden cardiac death. Uh, additionally, your immune system is boosted. There's a decrease in the expression of inflammatory proteins and your cortisol levels go down. So when you shift these two systems, it's quite dramatic. And we are meant to function when we engage our parasympathetic nervous system. That is when we are healthiest. We can affect our health by consciously making this shift, but it does take some work and some exercise. And when you're able to do this, this area of your brain associated with the flight or fight response, the amygdala actually shrinks in size and these other areas will actually increase in size. And the analogy you made about a gymnasium or exercise is actually true. What we wanna do is to build those muscles in your brain that are helpful to you in terms of your survival, in terms of your thriving, and let the others atrophy that aren't so helpful. Okay, so what are some good exercises or practical ways that we can do that and exercise the right muscles? Well, certainly one of the things you mentioned earlier, uh, meditation or mindful practice, which of course was developed experientially over thousands of years by a variety of uh, groups, especially Buddhists, uh, but in other uh, religions or philosophies as well, they have learned that when you're able to do a breathing exercise, when you do a mindfulness practice, if you will, when you do a compassion practice, it will shift you into this mode. And it's actually quite powerful. But you don't necessarily have to do that. If you, as an example, simply want others to thrive, if you can consciously express that in your mind about wishing others well, the very nature of that internal conversation also has an effect of that. The things that don't help you are when you are jealous, when you're angry, when you have envy, when you ruminate about why this person got that and you didn't, then it has a very negative effect because it engages your sympathetic nervous system. It is a manifestation of fear, which leads to anxiety, which leads to uh, increasing stress and the spiral down ultimately into depression and potentially other significantly negative consequences. It's a really interesting parallel here because as you know, the other week we had Stephen Fry, one of your favorites on, on the show. And, uh, you know, we talked about the sinful brain. It was a really interesting conversation. Obviously, he doesn't come at it from a neuroscientific point of view at all. But what actually happens to our brains then if we're wicked or unkind or uncaring? Is there some kind of, from a neurosurgeon's point of view, is there some physiological uh, demonstration of that? Uh, sure. Uh, and, you know, there are some exceptions to that because uh, if you're a sociopath, you do not have the normal mechanisms which would regulate that. But certainly uh, when people are not kind and uh, it actually starts gnawing at them on a subconscious level and it creates, again, all of the negative physiologic effects I mentioned, because you know when you're not good. And then every time you see that person, every time you relive that memory, it results in the same negative consequences. It's just like the opposite. If you were to have gone out and done an act of goodness for someone, 
uh, not only do you get the immediate effect of that, but when you relive that in your mind, it shifts you over. And that's the wonderful power that we have within ourselves. You know, I mentioned earlier this idea of self-compassion and telling yourself you're not good enough, you're not worthy, you're an imposter, et cetera, et cetera, which is so common and interestingly, primarily only in the Western world. The thing that happens there is that every negative statement you make, you give this immense power you have within yourself to change yourself and affect the outside world away. And I tell people that when I was in that mode all the time, it was as if I was laying bricks down to create a self-imposed prison, which became very dark. And it starts getting stifling because you can't move. And that is the metaphor for giving your power away. And when you can break out of that and you can see the light and you can see the power of connection, it changes everything. And it's very, very powerful. And you know as well as I do, and we see it around us every day, people who've been able to do that and achieve extraordinary things. What do you think is your most impactful fact about kindness and compassion for our brain's health? What will happen is if you leave, live a life in that manner is that your telomeres will get longer. And uh, there's a wonderful book by who I count, a Nobel laureate, uh, Elizabeth Blackburn and Alyssa Appel, who wrote a book about this, whose title I can't remember at the moment. Uh, but in fact, we know that when you do these practices, when you're kind to other people, it actually is one of the best things for your long-term health. And in fact, practicing compassion, practicing kindness has more benefit than actual exercise or being at your ideal body weight. And to quote a very interesting study, this was done among volunteer women in uh, Wisconsin, and it was a longitudinal study. It showed that those people over the age of 65 who volunteered a minimal number of hours had a 2x increase in life expectancy compared to those who didn't, with two exceptions. The exceptions were if they were not doing it authentically, meaning that they wanted reward or recognition. And so you can't fake it to make it. You have to really care. Okay, before we go to questions, I just want to know what the three key lessons you want people to remember about this particular topic are. Compassion, compassion, compassion. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. Did you know Heights started as a newsletter that I've written every week for years? I'm still doing it, and I'd love it to reach your inbox too. So for weekly science-backed emails on the best ways to take care of your most important organ all in under three minutes, sign up at yourheights.com forward slash Sundays. See you next week.